0: turn the microphone on. Our Bible verse for today is Micah 6, verse 8. This is of significance to Kim as she uh, picked it, it um, helped, helped her to reflect on her life story. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So I'd like to invite Kim forward. And we're going to have some questions for, for you Kim.
1: <laughs> Hi everyone It's nice to be back here
0: <laughs> yeah so this is a series about uh, people's story of faith, how our amazing God has inspired people in many unique ways today uh, yeah we you know Kim uh, she was uh, a member here years ago she grew up here. Um, Her name was Hample, so now Finlay. And so we look forward to hearing how God has moved and shaped you and also Michael. Uh, Michael, unfortunately, couldn't be here this morning uh, in their ministry of Maranatha Health. So let's just pray. Thank you, amazing God, that you plant seeds of passion, faith and conviction. As Kim shares her faith story, may we see your heart of justice and compassion come alive and what inspired their steps of faith. So Kim, tell us a bit about your faith history, about what's influenced what people, uh, what events.
1: Sure. So I guess um, some of you probably have known me for a very long time, even my year two teacher or my year one teacher is (laughs) sitting here today. I think To be honest, one of the biggest gifts that I've been given by God is to be raised in a community of Christians who pointed me to Jesus. And I felt incredibly secure um, growing up at Paravista Lutheran Church and the school, and I felt like that was really one of the biggest gifts that I have been given in my life, to live in a community that really cared about me. I had so many adults investing in me and keeping me safe. and um, Yeah. I just had a great childhood that showed me who, um, who Jesus could be and I think that's, that's really wonderful. And I still, to this day, find it quite miraculous that that happens because I think there's so um, a lot of kids who don't grow up like that. So I think one of my biggest influences was that I, I had a lot of freedom to be me and to, to question within the context of Christian community. And that meant that as I became a teenager, I did question a lot. Um, I had a lot of freedom to ask what God actually cared about and what actually mattered to him. And I think there were uh, really significant adults um, in my life and teachers um, that taught me about um, God's love for the poor and um, his desire for justice in this world. for God, that is remaking the world into one that is good and one that is just, and I think that was that was really key for me. Um, that that kind of understanding that you know going to church and participating in Sunday services was just such a small part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, yeah, so I think that was that was what.
0: Mm. Well, is there a significant event, a very significant one that, um, in your faith journey, and any scriptures, uh, I mean, if we've yeah. already had that Micah verse, uh, that describes how, how this encouraged or directed your journey?
1: Yeah. yeah, I think there was probably two events that were really significant. I mean, there's you know millions over a lifetime, but two events that stand out to me. Um, when I was a teenager, I had... Um, a lot of self-doubt I guess you could say and wasn't sure where I fit sometimes and then when I was 19 I went to Kenya for the first time I went overseas with some friends and spent some time working um, in Kenya volunteering in an orphanage and I think for me that experience was very shaping in my faith journey because I had been wondering for a long time what I was supposed to do with what was what felt like a love of Africa and a desire to do social justice stuff and I didn't know what that looked like at that point Um, I wanted to care for people I didn't know what that looked like Um, and then I went to to Kenya and really the experience of going to Africa felt to me like almost like deja vu like coming home and it um I just really understood the rhythms and the culture in a way that I didn't expect to, and I just loved being there. Um, And that was quite a profound spiritual experience for me, and I um, found it really hard to leave after those three months. Um, And so, when I came home, I was really, really clear that I wanted to live and work in Africa, and that that was um, a calling from God, and I felt it in my bones, and I was very Um, clear from that point on and I remember even having discussions um, with friends at church and we would talk about Africa and I would cry because I wanted to be there and there was lots of stuff like that that happened. Um, The second event that really uh, changed my understanding of what it means to be called was when we were actually, my husband and I um, were actually in Uganda at the time, we'd moved there already we were um, moving things along with Maranatha Health. And for those of you who don't know, like Lindsay said, I'm part of a charity called Maranatha Health, which aims to improve health outcomes in Uganda and make positive lasting change for Uganda's poor. Um, And at that time, we'd just moved over to Uganda. We were in our mid to late 20s. We were quite inexperienced. And um, we'd been there for about nine months. And a lot had gone wrong in that time. There'd already been lots of struggles with corruption and betrayals and we felt really out of our depth with lots of things and we were essentially, like I was 25, 26 at the time, we were trying to set up a children's hospital in a rural remote area um, where we hadn't lived before. So it was a very big challenge um, and there was lots I felt very ill-equipped for. And we, there was a point where we actually All the money that we'd raised in Australia was um, cut for a time, and that was a really significant moment where we didn't know whether Maranatha Health would even continue as an organisation. We were very nervous about everything happening. We didn't have... um, Yeah, we just didn't know what was going to happen. We were completely in limbo. And so we went down to another part of Uganda where there was a beautiful place to retreat on a little island in the middle of a lake, and I remember sitting at a little dock that just looked out on the island and... Um, reading my Bible. And I'm not a big Old Testament Bible reader. I find it hard often to read the Old Testament. But Exodus um, 4 is what I opened to and the story of Moses and the burning bush. And um, I'd always kind of read those stories very quickly and it was a very Sunday school type story. And I realised in that moment how much um, Moses was plagued with self-doubt. So God says, you know, I'm calling you to lead the Israelites. This is what you're doing. You're approaching Pharaoh and you're going to say these words to him. And Moses was like, wait a minute, I am not doing that. I'm not interested in that. That is not my thing. I don't have those skills. Lord, that's not going to happen. And God's like, well, actually, that is going to happen. I want you to do this. You are the person that's called. This is what you're going to say. I'm going to quit you. I'm going to tell you what to say. And Moses is like, actually, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not, not only do I not have the skills and no one's going to listen to me and I'm not the person that you think I am. Not only that, but I I stutter, I'm not good at speaking. It's just not a good plan, God. Like, it's not going to happen. And then God says, no, I don't think you're hearing me, Moses. This is the plan. This is what's going to happen. And they go on and on and on and back and forth. And eventually Moses just says, Lord, please send someone else. Please. And it's really clear that he just doesn't, he is plagued by self-doubt. And in that moment, God sees how much he is struggling with the calling on his life. And so he gives him Aaron, and um, Aaron and him end up going together to Pharaoh because Moses can't face the idea of going by himself. It's too big, it's too scary, it's too overwhelming. Um, And you know, we obviously know how that story ends. It goes very well. Um, There's lots of hard stuff that happens in between, but the Israelites do leave um, Egypt. And I think for me, obviously, um, the Maranatha gig is not leading the Israelites out of Egypt, but I um, felt very overwhelmed at the time by what God was calling um, me to do. And I think it was a reminder to God that, a reminder to me from God that um, he doesn't ask us to do anything particularly beyond what we can manage. And not only that, but it it does feel scary. And it does feel, it does require bravery to do hard things and to do things that we don't feel capable of doing. But it's not like it's up to us. It's not like we're the, I'm not the one who created Maranatha and um, set up a children's hospital in Uganda. Like it's all just by the grace of God. It's all by his leadership and his, provision and his generosity and the skills that he gives me in those moments and the people that he put around us to make that all possible. And I returned to that, um, that story so many times throughout the story of Maranatha when I felt ill-equipped to deal with the responsibilities that um, came with it. So that's that's a really big, I think, event and yeah, journey for me. Mm.
0: You've you've probably actually almost answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because there might be some other things you want to add. What drew you to your ministry and why?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the sum total of life, isn't it? (laughs) why you do what you do. Um, I think that when I went to Kenya for the first time, I was reflecting on this the other day, one of the first things um, I did in the first few weeks I was there, there was a little girl who was sick at the orphanage where I was volunteering at. And we took her to a children's hospital um, nearby and I was really confronted by um, the differences between hospitals in Kenya and Australia. Um, And I remember there that really piqued my interest on what it looks like to receive healthcare in in Africa. And then um, three and a half years later, I think it was, I met my husband, we were introduced, went out on a blind date, because we both loved Africa and wanted to work there, and he had this incredible dream of setting up a children's hospital in Uganda, um, and had been on that trajectory for a long time already, um, and shared, on our first date, he shared with me that dream, and I I just fell in love with the idea that we could be a part of something that would enable kids in Africa to access high-quality healthcare. And I also was very passionate about the community um, side of things. So I was like, well, Michael, you could do it like this, but you could also do this and you could do this. And we just talked shop for a few hours on what Maranatha Health, this organisation that was in its very um, infancy at that point, could look like. And so my husband really introduced me to the idea that we could could make incredible change in the world um, together with God. And, you know, it was... The kind of the rest is history we fell in love and found an amazing group of people in both australia and uganda to walk alongside of us and here we are
0: yeah wow what an amazing story isn't god good <laughs> um, we'll be back in a minute but um, we've got a, a song so all christians live in god's kingdom and have a joyful responsibility let's stand and sing
2: Thank you. So this is part two of the interview. So we've heard about the past and the birth of Maranatha. So now we move more on to I guess, stories of hope and healing that God has been able to bring through Maranatha. So first question, how has um, the journey impacted you and changed, and changed others? Can you share any stories of hope and healing? Sure. <laughs> Probably Easy. many, many, but.
1: <laughs> I'll try to keep it short and succinct. So I think um, the journey of Maranatha has been, Maranatha Health has been quite a roller rollercoaster ride. Um, it's not been easy. There has been lots of hope, and then there's been lots of disappointment alongside of that, and I think I wanna, yeah, really recognize both of those things, because both of those things can be true, sometimes at the same time. Um, but I think, yeah, I feel like so much of the time we're just kind of hanging on and seeing what God does next, seeing what happens next in the world, um, But for those of you who don't know the Maranatha journey, I just thought I'd do a quick, very quick recap. So in 2011, like in 2008, Michael and I, um, with a bunch of people in Australia, set up the organization in Australia, um, a charity that we started fundraising for MH um, to then go over and do something in Africa. In 2011, we moved over to Uganda. Um, In 2012, we started seeing our first patients Um, Which was a really exciting milestone. And then in 2015, we relocated to a different facility, um, about 60 kilometres from our original site. And then in (coughs) 2018, sorry, a bit of a cough. In 2018, we moved, Michael and I moved back to Australia, and the um, organisation in Uganda became fully Ugandan led, which is um, another very exciting milestone for us. Um, And so, Michael and I now just work from here to kind of support and we call it being a sidekick just kind of mentoring and supporting our staff where they need us to um, making sure that we're steering the ship in the right direction I guess um, if it gets off course a little bit and that's, that's where we are now and our organisation at the moment we see about 12,000 patients a year, most of them are children um, that we see at our hospital. Um, we have a Pharmacy and a laboratory that we work with at our hospital. We also um, Have a really big passion for holistic health care, which means that we don't just treat people and their symptoms and then send them on their way really we're really um, Care about what's happening and why people are sick in the first place so we have um, it, hospital-based counseling and community support and Um, nutrition programs and all sorts of services that wrap around the patient and we visit people in their homes and then we have a community program that just brings a whole lot of health literacy and important health knowledge in the community. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of what Maranatha is today.
2: Um, And it's,
1: yeah, it's done a lot of cool things.
2: So are you able to just um, focus, oh here's some water, that's lovely. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) That annoying post-viral cough that everyone seems to be getting.
2: So stories of hope and healing. Can you just oh. pick out something? Just yes. a couple instances. I think that's always inspiring. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I've got one for later on, but I think one that has been really uh, important and had a huge impact on all of us was a little girl called Brenda that we found in the community. Brenda was ten years old when we found her. Um, in her home, we'd been high, she'd been highlighted to us to. By some other community members, um, because she spent her days begging for food. And when we went to her home, we found out that <coughs> her parents were both both had intellectual disability, um, and severe intellectual disability, and were really struggling to care for her at all. Um, so she was 10 years old, and she was by far the most malnourished child I had ever seen. Um, she's the kind of child that if you're in a room with her, she almost became invisible because she, she just looked so wasted that it was almost like there wasn't a person there anymore. And I think that, that's a reflection of where I was at, at the time as well and where um, humanity's at, that sometimes we don't see people because they are so poor and so much the least of these in a sense. Um, and so our staff brought Brenda back to Maranatha Health Um, without her parents, because they couldn't manage, and started feeding her, um, and trying to um, nourish her through a whole bunch of clinical interventions. Um, And after about a month, we realized she wasn't actually improving as much as we had hoped, and we discovered that she had type one diabetes, which is a really, really severe disease as it is, but in a Gannon context, where um, keeping insulin in the fridge is not possible, Monitoring blood pressure, blood sugar levels all the time is very difficult. Um, it was a really tricky diagnosis, um, and our staff really essentially took responsibility for Brenda for a number of years. So we um, would, she would, she lived at the hospital while she improved for about six months, I think it was in the end, and she became very became very much a part of the Maranatha Health family. Um, she played in the nursery with the other staff children, and we, um, the staff were on a roster system to make sure she was bathed and fed and all that stuff. And she really became a part of our family, and um, we tried to keep her connected to her parents as much as possible as well. Um, and she turned into the, flourished into this wonderful, cheeky 10-year-old girl. Um, and it was quite uh, miraculous to see the change in her. Um, and it was a reminder to me that um, every child is deserving of love, and every situation, in a sense, is redeemable, mm. um, even when it looks so tragic. Um, and then we found her foster parents um, and got her into a boarding school where there was a nurse, so that they could um, provide round-the-clock care to her if they needed to, around her insulin, um, and she was a part of the Maranatha Health family for five years. We would go and, when there was parent visitor nights at the school, we would go and one of our staff would be sent to go and be her parent for the night, and um, she became very connected, and I remember her striding into Maranatha and rocking up and sitting next to me in the staff um, eating area, which was completely off, um, you know, out of bounds for patients and carers and kids and stuff, and she would just stride in and help ourselves to the staff lunch, and was very much a part of the place, and, hi, Auntie Kim, how are you? (laughs) And that was kind of life. Um, Sadly, I mean, having type one diabetes in Africa is really, really tricky, and so a few years ago now, Brenda passed away, um, which was hard and sad um, for all of us who had invested in her for a long time, but I think, For me, that's a story of hope, because she had this incredible, huge family um, that loved her for the years that um, she kind of lived and spent time as a part of Maranatha family, and really, I think that was such an incredible gift of compassion that our staff offered, and I'm really proud that we were able to do that, and really grateful that Brenda had that experience. Um, It also, you know, I think it, I think the times when, you know, there's thousands of stories of children being healed and parents rejoicing that I could share with you, and I will share one later, but I think those times when um, there's loss and grief, I think God feels almost more present then because our faith is stretched and we have to hope in something that we can't see, and we have to believe that God is working despite the suffering that we see around us, and we know that he is, and we know that he's there weeping with the mothers that lose their children, and that he is there um, grieving for Brenda with us um, when she passed away, and I think that to me was far more forming of my faith mm-hmm. um, than anything else um, in Uganda. So, yeah, I don't know if that's...
2: Mm. That's yeah. had lots of facets to that story, that's <laughs> for sure. Um, How have you seen come to Jesus through your ministry?
1: Um, So Uganda is a Christian country. So about 90% Mm. of the country are already Christian. Um, And so we probably, we didn't see people necessarily like, I guess take that step into faith um, through Maranatha. I think... way that we viewed it as a staff team and michael and i is that there were so many experiences that like because the church in uganda is quite legalistic and um often quite burdensome for people to um to to live by sometimes and Mm. it can get exhausting when you're poor and you're trying to look after your children and then church leadership often put on an, another level of expectation on people, and I think that can be quite exhausting for families, and particularly for women, and so one of the things that we are always trying to do is give people an experience of um, God that was full of love mm-hmm. and compassion, and so one particular story that I thought I would share with you, let me just get my notes, um, <clears throat> is a story of a woman called uh, Rachel. So, just to give you some context, at the start of 2011, before we moved to Uganda, we had a Maranatha Health gala dinner, um, actually run by Helene's son, Jackson Edge. Um, and at that gala dinner, Michael and I shared our dream for what Maranatha Health could be in the future. And we shared a story of a, this kind of made up story in my head of a woman who was accessing the services of MH and it kind of weaved in community programs and healthcare. And, Everything And it was, it was a story that was very much given to me by God and placed on my heart because there's, you know, there's no way someone in their early 20s can come up with a story like that. Um, and it just felt very much a God thing. So then um, I wanted to share with you a real story of a child called Olivia and her mum Rachel, who actually the story was very similar to the one that I had um, shared at the gala dinner, you know, 12 years prior. So the Maranatha Health Village Health Leader found this little girl, Olivia, on a regular home visit and knew she needed medical attention. At the request of the Village Health Leader, a community team brought Olivia and her mother to the MH facility where she was admitted for three weeks for severe acute malnutrition. Her condition dramatically improved with quality treatment. Her parents were supported by the Maranatha Health Counselor and they received education on nutrition and feeding practices as part of our clinical nutrition program. Her mother, Rachel, had this to say. We had lost hope in our daughter, Olivia. We knew she was suffering, and we did not have money to take her to the clinic for treatment. The nearest public health center is about four kilometers away and needs transport. When Maranatha Health staff parked a car at home and asked us to come with them and take Olivia for treatment, we had refused because we knew they were going to ask for money and that we could not afford it. We were encouraged by our community health advisor to go with the MH staff team. After a week at Maranatha, <clears throat> we were happy to see Olivia smile and playing for the first time in her life. Maranatha staff gave us everything we needed, including food, and they did not ask us to pay um, money. We knew God was working. It's God who saved Olivia from death. Through the works of Maranatha people and that's the testimony of a mother who felt incredibly wrapped up in God's love through that experience she's very um, passionate about Maranatha health these days and very evangelical about the the way that we cared for her and her family Um, but I got I guess that's a reminder that despite us and our efforts it seems that God is always at work ensuring that people in Uganda are treated with dignity and have access to compassionate health care when they need it. Um, and I think, you know, that verse, Micah 6, verse 8, it's like the simplest verse and it's the hardest thing in the world to do because it takes all of... It asks us for our obedience. It asks us not to have ego. It asks us not to, um, not to take charge and put things in our own hands. It asks us to live in a way that points people to God, um, to be gracious to people's, you know, to people for their choices and to walk in humility. And I think that's one of the hardest things we can do. And I, I remember when I was younger, you just kind of want to save the world. And you know, you just think that you can and you actually can't, like that's God's job. And I think, you know, we learn that as we get older. Um, but I think that's been a really formative um, verse for me through the good stuff, through things like um, Olivia he- getting healed and also through the hard stuff, like the kids that didn't make it at Maranatha. <clears throat> God isn't requiring me to rescue anyone or save anyone or change hearts. All He is asking me to do is be obedient to what he's called me to. Mm. And I think that's, yeah.
2: helpful. That's great. So we've also got an opportunity here to support Maranatha and I know many people here have over the years. So what would be your message to those here today and hearing it for the first time?
1: Sure. Well, um, there's a couple of ways that you can support us. We're always looking for, um, yeah, more people to come into the MH family because it really is a family. Um, We've had... Julie and Pran and lots of people from Paravista involved in all kinds of ways over the years. So the three ways that you can really be involved is number one, through prayer. We have a monthly prayer team that meets um, and we have prayer notes that get emailed out to people who can't make it um, online to the prayer meeting. If you would like to pray for us, that's so significant to our ministry and really important to us. Um, number two, you can give financially of the incredible resources um, you have in Australia. I think... Um, Generosity is, is really important to God and really important to groups like Maranatha. We run on about um, $300,000 a year in Uganda, which sounds like a lot, but actually we can do some pretty amazing things for that money. Um, so we'd really encourage you to consider giving either a monthly donation or a once-off donation to our work. Um, and there's some brochures out in the hall that you can Um, Take if you're interested in looking at how to donate um, and come and talk to me after the service. I'm happy to chat to you about what that might look like um, if you have any questions. And then number three, volunteering your time. So there's lots of ways in Australia that we um, utilize volunteers. Um, The organization is at the moment entirely volunteer run. Um, We have board members and administration and IT and fundraising and all sorts of fun ways that you can get involved.
2: So um, yeah, let us know. So one way that our children of our congregation have been involved is in the last Caps uh, event back in the uh, end of June, they had a, a service activity focus with a few different organizations, charitable organisations and children made cards for the kids in Uganda. And it was just a lovely time to see the things that they came up with. Band-Aids are really popular. <laughs> <coughs> um, and I think they really loved the, um, Kim sent through a couple of phrases that in their local language was get well soon, so that was Ubirubangui, that's probably a horrible way of saying it, I don't know. <laughs> Obira yeah. There we go. Um, but they had a lot of delight and joy and you could just see some of the messages were just beautiful. Um, and we're very, a lot of thought and effort has been put into it and it was, um, it was very special to see the kids saying, I hope this cheers someone up. And um, I think, you know, children, relating to children is just really powerful. So um, please take them and um, send them on to the clinic <laughs> in Uganda <laughs> with, with, our, with our love and thoughts. Um, so let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the Ministry of Hope and Healing through Maranatha Health, we ask that you continue to work in Kim and Michael and all of those who are involved in Maranatha Health. Show us how we can continue to respond to the needs of the world either through Maranatha or other charities. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.